Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. We're going to jump right in to uh, 1 Samuel, and hopefully you've been doing some, some, uh, some reading there. Um, let's just pause for one moment. Lord, we ask that you would open your word to us today that we might have understanding. Lord, we thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for the grace that you have for us, that you would give us uh, your word. Now, Lord, we ask that you would give us understanding, that you would enlighten our minds, and that we might be able to receive from, from you today what you uh, have for us and want for us from this, this great portion. Um, we just ask that your spirit would be our teacher and we, that we would have uh, hearts that were, would listen and, and, and learn and receive from you. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, three-year journey through Scripture and through the Bible, and today uh, we are in 1 Samuel. I hope that you found some time to think last week about the Goel. Um, the kinsman redeemer. Um, hard to understand a lot of what the New Testament says about Jesus being our redeemer without having a good pre- appreciation for what the theology behind that term and what it meant and what it means, how Jesus willingly stepped up, stepped out, paid the price for us when we could not pay it because we were dead in our trespasses and sins, identified with us, became one of us, became part of us, took us as his own, and then paid the price for us so that we could be a part of his family forever. There's a lot packed into that, that concept coming out of the book of Ruth, which precedes uh, the book of First Samuel. So as we've come through uh, the book of Judges, all kinds of stories of uh, depravity, and yet there's this hope, the hope of a child, uh, the hope of a child uh, that would be born. And of course, all of this pointing towards Jesus, our Goel, our Redeemer, our Savior. And uh, the book of Ruth shines and as the book of Ruth is uh, a light in the dark period of the judges, so Hannah and the story of Hannah and uh, the birth of Samuel is like a light shining in hope in the dark in the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, we're still talking about dark days and troubled times, and uh, you know, I had this thought, I had this thought a while back, I shared it with a couple of people, it's almost like reading through the Bible, and studying through the Bible this time through, uh, it's, I had this, this sense that the, that whole Old Testament is almost, it's almost like, uh, thank you David very much, it's almost like uh, God is addressing the accusation that he didn't give Adam and Eve enough information. 
to go on and to make a real informed decision about the choice that lay before them. It's almost like, uh, you know, God is saying in, in, in the Old Testament, um, oh, you want more information about what's going to happen if you, if you do this? Let me show you what will happen. And we have, you know, thousands of years later, as you come up to the New Testament, you have this, uh, you know, story after story, illustration after illustration um, of the consequences. Until God stops speaking, eventually, you know, the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament are, are referred to as the 400 silent years. No record of any prophet whatsoever after Malachi that we can put our finger on. Nothing in scripture that really says, you know, that God, I'm sure God was still at work. I'm sure he was still speaking to people. But, but there was a sense there that God had, he had said everything that he had to say about <laughs> depravity when you come to the New Testament. And so the New Testament, the Old Testament is so uh, important uh, as we try to gain an appreciation and an understanding of the of uh, the New Testament and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, the, the book of 1 Samuel begins with uh, a story, the story of Hannah. Uh, just like uh, Ru- the book of Ruth ends with the birth of a child that brings a family and a community together in hope, very positive, encouraging, hopeful story. So the book of 1 Samuel begins with um, Hannah. And Hannah, too, is a woman who has a husband but no children. And she wants desperately to be a mom, and so she prays to the Lord, and the Lord gives her a son. And this son will become one of the greatest prophets of the whole Bible. Um, Many would argue that Samuel was the greatest prophet to follow uh, Moses. So we're talking about a major biblical character here. And, uh, of course, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Let's, let's start reading. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. Let's read the first uh, three verses. There was a certain man of uh, Ramathaim Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of uh, Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. So already we have met a lot of people here. We have a a lot of different characters being introduced. We have Elkanah and his two wives, Penina and Hannah, and we have Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Uh, who were priests in the temple of the Lord or the tabernacle uh, in Shiloh. And uh, um, verse 4. On the day when Elkanah 
sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival, which would be Peninnah, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more than, to you than ten sons? Um, obviously not, but uh, um, <laughs> it's interesting. Do you remember what the women of Bethlehem said uh, when little Obed was born? They said, and I quote from Ruth chapter 4, He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Kind of an interesting little comparison there, right? Now this Alcana was obviously a, uh, it wasn't a perfect guy for sure, uh, none of us are, but he seems like a pretty good fellow. Uh, he appears to have been a believer in the Lord, uh, worshiped the Lord. And uh, we have every uh, reason to believe that his worship was sincere. Um, and uh, he would give double, uh, double portion to Hannah, which indicates his love for her. And, and the text says that he, he loved her, right? That, that he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. What about uh, Penina? What do you think of her? Well, she's not exactly in the same category as Delilah or Jezebel. But she's not a very nice person, uh, based on what we know about her here. Uh, and and uh, this is, a, again, another picture of what can be called domestic conflict. And uh, uh, it's as common as it is domestic. You know what I think? I think that Penina might have seen the way that Elkanah looked at Hannah and the way he treated Hannah. So before we're too hard on Penina, let's recognize that uh, uh, there's difficulties involved when uh, we are vying for affection. Personal insecurities cause a lot of conflict in our relationships. And as for the others named here, uh, Eli and his sons, we will be seeing more uh, of them and hearing more about them as the story continues to unfold. Let's read verses 9 through 18. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and sorry, wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. No razor shall touch his head. What's that remind you of? Samson, which was part of the vow of a Nazarite. So there's similarities here, and the, the, the similarities are very, very interesting, curious. Uh, Verse 12 says, as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, but only her lips moved. Her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be drunken. Uh, and Eli said to her, how, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. 
But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Uh, I think the word pouring out there is, you know, kind of the whole drinking, uh, you know, uh, imagery or whatever. I I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. She was so burdened, so troubled, so distraught, uh, so much wanting to be uh, to be a mom and to have uh, to have a child. And then Eli answered her, verse seventeen: "Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to Him." And she said, "Let your servant find favor in your eyes." And then the last part of verse eighteen says, "The woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad." Um, now, Hannah could just as easily have allowed her trials and disappointments uh, to create resentment and even anger towards God and bitterness and drive her away from the Lord, but she didn't go that way. She went the other way. She allowed her disappointments and her, and her, um, her uh, situation to drive her to the Lord and to take her petition to the Lord. She laid her burdens down. Because she went away with great confidence uh, that the Lord had heard her, and she found refuge under under His wings. Question, though: Why would Eli think and assume that Hannah was drunk? This is probably the first hint in the book that things are not well at Shiloh. Okay, just tuck that away in your mind. Um. 1 Samuel um, 1, 19 and 20. They arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked him from the Lord. And the name Samuel means to ask. Okay, that's what his name meant. Okay? So that's got to be significant. And then the rest of the chapter, the rest of chapter 1, tells us that Elkanah continued his yearly pilgrimage up to Shiloh, but Hannah stayed home with little Samuel until he was, we think, maybe around three years old. Uh, but she never forgot her solemn vow to the Lord. And then the day came. The day came and she went with Elkanah and together they took the child up to Shiloh to Eli, the priest, the high priest. First Samuel chapter 1, verses 26 to 28 says, And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. Interesting. I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Interesting concept, lending your child to the Lord for as long as he lives. Um, In verse 27 and 28 that we just read, Hannah uses a form of the Hebrew word to ask four times. So, that's significant, isn't it? 
Samuel's name means to ask, and Hannah is focusing on that idea. He's the one I ask for. He's the one I ask the Lord to give to me. I'm giving him back to the Lord according to the vow that I made that day. Then as you come into um, chapter 2, as we come into chapter 2, we have Hannah's, uh, uh, she's prayed and she's received the answer to her prayer and now she's praising. And so the first part of chapter 2 is Hannah's uh, praise song. And uh, uh, without reading through it, I hope you will read through it. I'm not going to read through it right here now. Uh, we're not going to project it. But I'll, I'll, I will condense it for you. And we'll look at a couple of parts. But uh, if I could condense it, Hannah's praise to the Lord went something like this. Praise the Lord who comes through for the humble and for the downtrodden, but judges the proudful. He exalts the humble and he humbles those who would exalt themselves. Why? Because he is the judge of all the earth. That's kind of the central idea of Hannah's praise to the Lord. Because she humbled herself before the Lord, and the Lord lifted her up. And uh, uh, she may have had, when she talked about the proud, she may have had uh, Penina in mind, maybe, possibly. If you look at verse 5, when she starts talking about uh, barren women and women who have uh, many children being... Uh, unsatisfied, um, but um, however the case, the main thing that Hannah exalts in is the fact that God has stuck up for her. That's the thing that comes through the loudest: is God has 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 come into her life and answered her prayers and and has lifted her. And um, the last, uh, let me see, verse 9 and 10, it says, this is chapter 2, He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against uh, them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Now, just a little bit of a commercial break here, okay? We, this is not the first time that the Bible starts talking about a king or an anointed one. The idea of being an anointed one is, is there in Scripture prior to this. But this is where we start to hear talk, uh, more focused talk about the king that would come. And anointed one, uh, Messiah means anointed one, right? That's what the word Messiah uh, means. And... Uh, uh, so Hannah starts her, her, uh, her praise. Look at uh, verse 2. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. So Hannah uh, feels that God has, has lifted her up or exalted her, right? And so she starts there. Then she goes through and she talks about how generally the reason that God has done this for her is because that's what he's like. That's what he does. And then she concludes by pulling back all the way, as it were, to show us the big picture even of the coming Messiah, the, the anointed one, the king, who would come. And her song is similar to the song that Jesus sang because Jesus had this, uh, like, rhyme thing that he would do uh, often, and it went like this. He who humbles himself will be exalted. He who exalts himself 
will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. You may have read that in the New Testament several different locations because it seemed to be a theme in Jesus' life too, which I think is uh, important and, uh, and interesting. You know, every uh, victory in this life, in these days, every victory you experience is a foretaste of what is to come. Every, a sampling a sampling of life in the kingdom of God. Uh, just as every defeat for those who choose against the kingdom of God is also a sampling of their future as well. And uh, yeah, uh, let's keep going. Chapter 2, verse 11. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. That's verse 11. Verse 12 says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Picture this little guy. He's just a little tyke. And who's got a three-year-old here? Who's, who's three? I know they're gone, but who's three? Josh is three? He's four now. So smaller than Josh. Little Josh last back in, in the winter. When's his birthday? He just turned four. Okay, well, he's, you, if you, have you seen Josh? You know the little guy with the dark curly hair? Uh, yeah, not very big, right? And can you, imagine, can you imagine taking him up to Shiloh to Eli and saying, Mommy and Daddy will be back next year? <laughs> just, just a little, here he is, right? And then there's Hophni and Phineas. Another good reason not to leave your three-year-old at the tabernacle, right? Because it says here in verse 12, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Now they knew about the Lord. We know that they knew about the Lord, but the text says they didn't know the Lord. And there's a difference, and I don't think I need to, um, to uh, uh, describe that for you. I think you, you, you understand that. I hope you do. Um, so the verses that follow, they des- describe this thing that they would do. This is the thing that Hophni and Phinehas would do. They, when people brought their food offerings, their meat offerings, uh, to, the, to the tabernacle there, they had made this uh, handy-dandy special barbecue fork. And they would stick the fork in the meat and pull it out, and everything that came with the fork, they got. Now, you won't find anything, you will not find, if you go back and read how it was supposed to work, that's not how it was supposed to work. But they didn't really care because they just kind of did whatever was right in their own eyes anyway. It worked for them. And, uh, and if people objected, they would take it by force. So when it says they were worthless men, okay, that, the, you know, they were the opposite of Boaz, okay? They were worthless men. Uh, Boaz was a worthy man. These guys were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Those are strong indictments. But as you go on through the story, it gets stronger. It's, uh, th- these, were, these were dark days. And, uh, you know, uh, chapter 2, verse 17 says, Thus the sin of the young men, notice it calls them young men, was very great in the sight of the Lord. Uh, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. They showed contempt 
for the offerings of the Lord, which is the same as showing contempt for the Lord. Okay? What kind of a future do you think these guys might have? Not looking good, is it? No, short. <laughs> short view. Yeah. Um, in her praise song, Hannah talks about the arrogant, the mighty, and the wicked. She talks about the adversaries of the Lord. And as we read here in chapter 2, verse uh, uh, 1 through 17, we find out that those people were actually right in the tabernacle, serving in the role of leadership in the tabernacle as priests. They were dark days. There they are right there in the holy place. Uh, the next few verses... Uh, Tell us that little boy Samuel stayed at the tabernacle and ministered before the Lord. It says in verse 18, he ministered before the Lord. This big. And his parents would visit him every year. It was a fairly long trip. And, uh, and, and not just that, but they, there was a sense that they had given him over, right? Not given up on him, but given him over. And uh, so they would visit each year, and his, his mom would make him a little robe, a little wee tiny robe. Every year as he grew a little bigger, she would show up with Elkanah, her husband, and they would bring a, a, a new robe, a, just a little bigger each time as he grew for, uh, for Samuel to, to, uh, to use. And then it goes on to say that God gave uh, Hannah uh, uh, three more sons and two daughters. Um, it says in the text there in chapter 2, and uh, uh, because God repays those who do good with good, and, and uh, he blesses her in that way, blesses them in that way. So God is blessing Hannah and her family, but here's little Samuel right in the midst of it all. And as we pick up in verse 22 of chapter 2, the focus shifts back again, once again, back to Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, uh, because they were up to other shady things as well. And it says in chapter 2, verse 22, Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel. He kept hearing all his sons were doing to all Israel how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Remember before when, when Eli thought that Hannah was drunk? There was a lot of bad stuff happening here, stuff that should never have been happening. Um, it's, it's, it goes on to say that Eli, um, you know, he warned them, he scolded them, you know, he made some attempt to try to reason with them and, and, uh, and rebuke them, but they weren't having any of it. They wouldn't listen to him. And so it says in verse 25, uh, they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Back in Numbers, for those of you who've been with us on this journey through the Bible. Back in Numbers, the story, the name Phineas is not new to us. There was a Phineas in the book of Numbers. Do you remember what he did? He was the son of Aaron the high priest. And at Baal Peor, 
when the man brought the woman in front of all of Israel into his tent, in front of his family, in front of his children and everybody to have sexual relations with her, it was Phineas, the son of um, Aaron, the high priest, who would be the forefather of Eli and his son Phineas. It was that Phineas that stopped the plague. And I'll read to you what it says about how, what God says. The Lord says to Moses, Phineas, the son of, oh, sorry, he was grandson of Aaron. Yeah, I, uh, he was Eleazar's son. Grandson of Aaron, my mistake. Uh, same point. Um, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. I bet you that this Phineas was named after that Phineas. I, 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 I even, I, yeah, can't be too dogmatic, but yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Uh, Numbers 25, 10 to 12, the Baal Peor. The sin of Baal Peor. There was thousands and thousands that died. And, and Phineas, son of Eleazar, stepped up as, as a priest of the Lord and a leader of the people, and he intervened on behalf of the people. Now we're seeing the opposite. Dark days very dark days, when the people who were supposed to be leading the people and interceding for the people and, and watching out for the people were exploiting the people. They were bringing the judgment of God on the nation instead of interceding and intervening with God on behalf of the nation. Dark, dark days. Clergy abuse is not something new. says there that they would not listen to the voice of their father for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. That's an ominous statement, isn't it? It doesn't say that they, because, you know, the Lord was putting them to death because they didn't listen. It says they wouldn't listen because the Lord had already decided. If you haven't learned this from Scripture, Yet, maybe today the Lord would have us learn this, that there is such a thing as too late. We like to think that as long as somebody's breathing, it's not too late. You know, it's not too late to repent. It's not too late to return to the Lord. But the Bible actually says it's possible that too late comes before that. Uh, Abel was talking about the idea of repentance early on there. Um, there is... There is this thing in Scripture about uh, uh, a judgment that comes when we sin against our God-given conscience and we do not live according to the light that the Lord gives us. He takes that light away. Jesus talked about this in Matthew um, chapter 13 when he said, For to one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance, but to the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And if you've read those words and thought, what is he talking about? That's what he's talking about. He's talking about revelation. He's talking about understanding. 
when we do not, when we sin against our own conscience, when we do not live according to the understanding that he gives us, he takes what little understanding we have away. It's, it's a form of judgment. And so you have Esau in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, says that he, he sought repentance even with tears, but he couldn't get it. He couldn't find true repentance. There's, a, there's an extremely important warning in all of this, and it's sobering, and it should, it should be sobering for us. Um, so you have that, and then you have this, 1 Samuel 2.26. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow in both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. How is that possible to grow in favor with both the Lord and with man? Don't, doesn't when we grow in favor with the Lord, don't we have to, doesn't that often mean that people aren't going to appreciate us or aren't going to think well of us? Well, you know, there is this idea that even though, we're, even though we are all uh, fallen and sinful, uh, even in a, in, even in the fallen heart of man, there is this this conscience that we talked about about uh, a moment ago, and I think that uh, you know that people do still realize and recognize sometimes right and wrong when they see it. And even Hoffman and Phineas, you know, they 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 knew better. At one time, there was a time they they knew better. They must have known better. Eli would have taught them, but they rebelled against the truth. They they despised the, the, the uh, offerings of God. They despised the Lord. And uh, uh, while all men are fallen and sinful, all men are not Hophni and Phineas. Thankfully. Um, it also, those words remind me of Luke 2.52. It says in 1 Samuel 2.26, Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Luke 2.52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And I don't think we're, we should miss the parallel there either as we're talking about the uh, New Testament and the Old Testament. Um, yeah, so, so here he is. Here's little Samuel. You know, maybe by now he's this big. You know, as time goes on. And he's, he's uh, you know, he's right there with all this stuff going on. He's, this, is, this is the environment he's growing up in. You know, we put a lot of emphasis on environment, don't we? You know, it's like envir your environment will make you. Maybe not. Maybe sometimes we put too much emphasis on environment and not enough emphasis on the choices that we make. Because we can start, we can blame our environment. I didn't really have a chance. You know, I am the way I am. It's too late to do anything about it now. You know, no, no, it doesn't work that way, does it? We make choices every day. You chose today what you're going to be like today, and I did too, and we do that. So the rest of chapter 2 tells us what happens next, which is this. A man of God comes to Eli. Doesn't give the guy's name. I, I read it twice uh, because the last time I said that the scriptures didn't name somebody, I think it was Peg told me when it was back in Numbers, uh, in that same passage, that it does name that woman. But uh, I don't think that this fella is named at all, which maybe means that, uh, uh, that God always has his people in place even when they're 
not known to us. And this fellow just kind of shows up out of nowhere. He's definitely a prophet of the Lord. And he tells Eli uh, what Eli needed to be told. The hard truth. And this is brutally hard. Like this is, like this is one of those points in the Bible where you just go, wow. You know, he starts by reminding um, Eli about his forefather, Aaron, the high priest to whom was given all the privileges and responsibilities. Mark those words. Privileges and responsibilities. And, uh, and how he uh, you know, was a successor to those promises and those commitments. And then uh, we have these words in verse 29 and 30. You honor your sons above me. And those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. I think that's probably um, an interesting way uh, to say that, isn't it? And then he proceeded to tell Eli, this man of God, this prophet, proceeded to tell Eli that uh, the line would be broken for him. Um, That his sons, he goes on to say that his sons will die in a single day. But there's a whole lot more stuff in there too. Like verses, verse 33 says, the only one of you, in talking about Eli's family, talking about his house, he's talking about his house, his house. And that's, again, this is one of the places in scripture as we, the theology of the Bible, where you start to hear more about this idea of, uh, of a person's house. When, by the time you get to David, uh, it's it's firmly established. They're talking about the line of David, the, the the extended family of David, and here the house of Eli. And the only one of you in your house whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And everyone who is left, verse 36, everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. Just complete and utter devastation upon his house. So we're going to conclude with chapter 3. That takes us basically to chapter 3. And uh, chapter 3 is where we'll we'll finish up today. Um, This little boy growing up in all of this, chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim, so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Take note, the word from God was rare. Eli's eyes were dim, and the lamp had not yet quite gone out. Creating a picture, a picture of darkness, dark days, 
And then the passage goes on to tell how God calls to Samuel. He calls him by name. He says, Samuel. Samuel thinks it's Eli. So he gets up out of his little bed there and he runs into Eli's room and he says, here I am. And Eli says, what are you talking about here I am? I never called you. Go back to bed. So Samuel goes back to his, his bed and lies down and gets all cozy again. And, and then he hears the voice again, Samuel, Samuel, here I am. And he jumps up and runs into Eli's room and he says, here I am, Eli. And Eli says, what are you doing? I never called you. Go back to bed. All your parents have been there, right? Go back to bed. He goes back to his little bed and he just gets his little head laid in his little bed and he hears the voice again, Samuel, Samuel. And he gets up and he runs into Eli again. And it's like, here I am. And so Samuel fine or Eli finally starts to clue in. The text says he by now, by the third time, Eli realizes that it's the Lord who's calling Samuel. So the old man says to the boy, this is what I want you to do, Samuel. I want you to go back to bed. I want you to lay down. And when he calls you, you say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel does that. He goes back to bed, and he lays down, and the Lord calls Samuel as he did before. And he says in verse 10, it says, The Lord came and stood calling it as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak for your servant hears. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. So everybody had heard about the, what was going on, right? Everybody's going to hear about this too. On that day I will fulfill against, all, uh, fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. You know, it says in the book of Hebrews, there's a place where it says that there remains no more sacrifice for sin. When you reject the, the only sacrifice God has for sin, when you reject the Lord, then you have no forgiveness for your sin. There is no sacrifice for sin. If you reject the Lord, then you're... You remain in your sin. And to use the words of Jesus, the wrath of God remains on you. That's what Jesus said. And uh, I read through through this, and it's like, like wow, this is, uh, this is a pretty heavy calling that uh, the Lord has given to, to Samuel. Um, it's not an easy call. The call to be a mouthpiece for God is not an easy call. <laughs> giving your children up for serving the Lord is not giving them to a life of ease, is it? 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 15. Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called to Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. You know, the relationship they had is interesting, isn't it? 
He said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide from me. Hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he has told you. So Samuel, verse 18, told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, Eli said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. It's hard not to feel for this old father, isn't it? He seems to have a genuine concern for this young boy. But God has judged him so harshly. And if it seems harsh to us, it's because it is harsh. And it's something that uh, God wants us to take notice of. That's the only thing that I can think of as I read through this passage um, again and again that we are responsible to teach and to lead and to judge our children. It says when Eli dies, it says he judged Israel for 40 years. He was a judge in Israel. He was a priest. He was a leader, but he didn't lead his own. We are responsible to teach, to lead, to judge our children. And if we don't, it will not go well for them or for us because they are our future, right? The last uh, few verses uh, and the first part of chapter 4 actually belongs with chapter 3. It's one of those unfortunate chapter divisions that they got wrong. Pretty, it, it appears they've got it wrong because it really fits better with the, the end of chapter 3. So 1 Samuel 3.19 to 4.1a says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. All Israel came to hear and to know and to talk about this, that the, the Lord was present again at Shiloh, and Samuel was a prophet of the Lord, and he led, as God's prophet, the nation of Israel. It's hard to think about the story of Samuel without thinking about Eli, because the story of Samuel is the story of Eli. The contrast is striking. Um, Samuel, a boy who asks, was asked of God and who listens to God, and a father who indulged his children to the point that they, were never, they never learned to be responsible for anything. It's hard to read through here without the subject of parental discipline rising up and smucking us. He just let them, he just let them go. He just let them carry on in their pride and selfishness, how they treated people, the way they were treating people. He just let them, he just, we tried to speak to them, but he never stopped them. And I know at the end of the day, we all make our own choices, whether our environment coming up has been good or not. But it's pretty clear here that we have responsibility 
not just as leaders, but as parents. And I, I, I know that some people don't like it when we say that, you know, everybody is a leader because then nobody's a leader and everybody's a leader. There's, you know. But, you know, parents lead. Or we should. Right? In our homes. We lead children. And uh, so whether we're talking in, in about the home or the community. Because there's a convergence here in this, this story, right? That's one of, the, one of the really interesting things about this is, is that we're talking about a nation, we're talking about a people, but we're talking about a, a mom and, 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 and a dad and, and, and this little guy and these two young guys. And it's hard to escape the domestic side of this because the home is only a microcosm of our community anyway, right? And here's Eli, he's the high priest. He's like one of the key leaders of the whole community of faith. And he stands out as somebody in Scripture who had nothing left at the end of his life except for regret. It's really hard to spin that in a positive way. It makes it hard to end on a positive note. But I want to end on a positive note because this is how I, 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 want, I, I want you to think about this. God judged Eli's house harshly. But he did it to save the people. Don't miss that in the text because that's what God wants us to take from here. Remember, Samuel was a gift. He was a gift given by God and then called by God to lead his people. And he did it. And he did it well. And I don't have all the answers for how to raise a Samuel. Because as Andy and I were talking before uh, the service started, Samuel had two, two boys, Andy, and they didn't do well either. We can't just simplify this to the point where, you know, it becomes a formula. Don't you wish you had a formula? There aren't any formulas. But we need to take our responsibility to heart. And we need to lead in such a way that we're recognizing that young people are our future. And, yeah, and I guess take hope in the fact that as the text ends, it's the presence of the Lord is, is active again in Shiloh. And the word of the Lord is coming to his prophet and, in Shiloh. And God is very much at work. And he has a plan. And he's going to fulfill that plan. And yes, Samuel is a type 
of the prophet who would come. When Samuel was born, if, you're, if you were reading through for the first time and reading carefully, you might be inclined to think, gee, I wonder if this is the prophet that would come. Because remember Moses talked about that? He said, there's going to come a prophet like me someday, and you need to listen to him. And of course, we understand, and even if you read the New Testament, that Moses, the prophet Moses was, was talking about is who? Jesus. But Samuel is a type of the Messiah too. And uh, yeah, uh, let's stand and, and uh, as usual, there's so much in there that, you know, the, we could spend uh, so much time thinking through and talking about and, and trying to sort through. Some it's not easy to, uh, to, sort, to, sort, uh, to sort through. There's, there's some, some really tough words in there. Did, did we announce the cafe earlier? It didn't make it into the announcements, did it? No. But we are, the, we, there is lunch today. There's uh, shepherd's pie, if you can stay and visit. And uh, if you uh, have an insight you'd like to share from this passage of, uh, of Scripture, you can, uh, as you've been reading it and thinking about it, praying it through, and, and hopefully I've given you some things to think about today. Uh, as well, uh, share it at your table. Um, and I would love to hear your thoughts. Let's uh, let's close with prayer. We typically do that anyway. I think it's appropriate pray. What are we going to pray about? What are we going to pray for? You know, the word pray literally means ask. I know we talk about different kinds of prayer, but the word pray means to ask, which was Samuel's name. Um, and one of the things that he did really well was pray for people. Uh, you'll see that in the passages as we move through. But but what, what should we pray here today? What should we ask God today? What do you think? You know, I, I, let's not go there, Mary, okay? That's not where I want to go here today. I want to think about, we'll, you talk to me afterwards. I would like to hear more about that. I'm talking about us here today. What should we be praying right now? Yeah. You can be overly strict with your children, but, but being permissive is not the answer, is it? We talk about the days of uh, Eli being dark days, the days of Judges being dark days. These are dark days too. We live in dark days. There's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of evil in our world. There's a lot of stuff that you just want to wish you could just shut it all out and never ever have to deal with it, isn't there? And, and you, can get, you can get really discouraged and you can get downright depressed about it. But, the day, but Samuel's day was a dark day. Here's that little boy. You know, it says in the Bible, a child, a little child will lead them. Talk about leadership, a little child will lead them. Yeah, I think you're right. Let's pray. Father, help us. We need your help here today. Lord, parents need your help here today. 
I pray for those, we pray together for those who are here who have children in their home, young children like Samuel in their homes. Um, we pray, Father, that you would enable us, enable parents to lead well, to not be overbearing or or lack grace, but, oh God, deliver us from being, from a, a kind of gutless compassion that would just allow children to have their way and what is right in their own eyes and that we would lead and well and teach well and with, with, with strength and with grace. Lord, help us to love well and to lead well. And Lord, we thank you for the example we have not only in Samuel's life, but in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for the hope that he brings, the, the light that shines in the darkness. We pray, Lord, that you would shine light in our homes. You would shine light in our community, Lord, and help us to live uh, our lives uh, for you, uh, from un unto you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.